Let's just pray and quieten our hearts before the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you truly are the mighty King, our Saviour and our Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our guide and that you give us your peace and your joy and your life. And Lord, we pray that as we read your word and listen to your word, that our hearts would receive something from you, Father. We believe that these words, Lord, they have life, and that as we feed upon them, we grow in you. And so we ask, Lord, that as we hear your word, as we that your spirit will give us understanding, Father, and that he would apply it to our lives, Lord, that he would take the words and use them to bring change into us, Lord, and also, Lord, to show us exactly what you've done for us and to understand where you have placed us as your people. So, Father, we ask that your spirit would move freely upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is going to be a very simple word this morning. Um, I'm just going to continue um, a bit on John. I know we came to the end of the series on John last week, but we did miss out a couple of weeks, and, and, and I think we, we definitely missed out chapter 19, which is about the crucifixion. And obviously this is a major part of, of the gospel, and it's right that we should just spend a little bit of time on, on, this, on this. So I'm going to read chapter 19 to you and I'm going to just share a few thoughts it's not going to be anything particularly deep um, but what I'm praying is that God will as we as we hear the words spoken that we will hear something of him and I don't know about you but when I read the scriptures sometimes I think it, it, they say a lot in just a few words a few words and it's gone if it was a modern novel they would give you all this sort of detail and we can say a few words and a few sentences from the scripture and it's just like it's over and we don't really capture the depth of it. So I'd ask, Lord, as, you, as, we, as we, I read, that you would just think through and just try to picture what was happening in these passages. Remember that, that Jesus has been arrested. He's already been before the Sanhedrin. Um, he's been denied by Peter. And here he is alone before Pilate. Pilate has already tried to get him off the hook, but couldn't. And then we get to this bit in uh, verse 1 of 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put, put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to, him, said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, 
Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. But the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he, was, he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters and again said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for the soldiers, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who, sh who, who shall have it, who it shall be. This was to fulfill the, the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his brother's sister, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar, of, a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of, of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. 
and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation, and so the bodies would not remain on the day of the Sab- on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath is a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs may be broken and that they may be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be broken. Not one of his bones will be broken. Sorry, the scripture may be fulfilled, and not one of his bones may be broken. And again, another scripture says, they looked on him who they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arathamaea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away, took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alos, around 75 pounds in weight. So they brought the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth and with spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. And in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. We've probably heard this story so many times and we're used to seeing crosses all over the place. Some, some people wear them as decorations, we see them on church buildings. But we don't ever really quite understand the full impact of what that cross actually means. To the early Christians, they understood it. Crucifixion to the Romans was the worst form of punishment that they could give anyone and they saved it for the lowest of the low and for those who dared to raise their head up against them. It was a punishment that had... It it, it wasn't something that a martyr would choose to do. A martyr might choose another type of death that you definitely would not choose to be crucified as as a way of showing martyrdom. And... Throughout early church, it was always a problem. This problem of Jesus dying on the cross was a problem to them. Paul says it, it was an offence. There was an offence to the cross. And when we read this, we, we see this man who had been already flogged, had a crown of thorns put on his head. You can see how in this moment we see all the hatred and all the bile of humanity coming upon Jesus. Him standing there in front of everyone before Pilate, arrayed in this, in this, this purple robe, having been beaten, covered in blood, and listening to all the people calling for his, his murder, basically. Then you have this pilot, this man who was a career, um, he was a career politician and uh, you never hear a pilot after this in history. He, he disappears into obscurity. And he's more worried about his position than he is about justice. 
And of course he has a hatred for the Jews as well because the Jews were not the best people to be governed. Pilate was immediately responsible to Caesar. And Israel at that time was a hotbed of, of dissent and, and of rebellion and they had to have a lot of, um, of soldiers in the area just to keep things down. So he also knew that the Jewish leaders were just jealous of Jesus, so he didn't really want them to get their way. And so for him there was, there was, there was a, a reason that he wanted to get him off the hook as well. And then we have this, these, um, <coughs> and this is quite amazing when you think of how the, the, the Jewish leaders actually did not like the, um, the Romans. They say, we have no king but Caesar. And for them to go that low, they were so desperate to see this man crucified that they were prepared to say they would rather have Caesar as king than this man that we see in front of us, that they saw in front of them. But we see Jesus as king. And John has been leading up to this story all the way through, from the time when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath. The Jews have been plotting this moment. And John has been leading up to this story. He's been leading us up because this is the dramatic place where God finally deals with the sins of the world. In recent years, and some people may have come across it, people have had a real problem with this idea of God taking out his punishment on someone else. And I've heard some people say it's like divine child abuse. I don't know if anyone else has read that. There are some modern Christians that have said that. But if you take out the, if you take out the Trinity, that's what it does sound like. <coughs> if this was just a man, if this was just an ordinary Jewish man that God decided that he was going to punish for the sins of others, you could say that. But we know that something deeper was happening. John's been telling us all along that this was the word made flesh. This was God. This wasn't just any man. This was God coming in, in flesh. And so when we, when, we, when we hear the gospel, we need to hear it with that Trinitarian idea in our minds that this man who died for the, the sins of the world, that paid the price and the penalty for what I d I've done and for all the sins of the world to make us right with God again, he was God as well. It's interesting that John doesn't give us Jesus' cry of, 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 um, uh, um, of dereliction where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't tell us that. Um, I guess he already knows that's, that's been said. And I know sometimes Christians say about God turning his eyes away, but I really do believe that God was there with Christ, that it was a divine thing that they did together to destroy sin, to destroy the powers of darkness. These powers of darkness that have been building up to this moment when Christ would become the, the place where, where sin and evil would be destroyed. 
And then you have these really tender moments in, 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 this, in this chapter where Jesus hanging upon the cross and close beside are the women who had been with him for so long, his mother. You imagine how his mother must have felt. She had seen him come into the world and then she had seen him die a terrible death, the worst death possible. She, at the beginning of John, she's the one that encourages Jesus to turn the water in the wine. And later on in other Gospels, we find that, that she's not quite so sure because it seems that Jesus is overdoing things and wants to rein them in. And here it's all come to this one moment. And then you have the wife of, of um, Clopas. And it's interesting because it's quite possible that this is the person who Jesus appears to um, in, um, in uh, Luke when they're walking on the road to Emmaus because it, sa- it says that the man was Cleopas and it's a different spelling of Clopas. So it's my, my, just as an interesting thing, it may well be that he appeared to them as well. But you have this, this image of Jesus just being caring about his mother. And at the end, we have two men come forward. All the disciples have all fled. They've all, apart from John, who it appears he was able to get close. It might have been because he was a younger man and they weren't, didn't see him as a threat. Um, but all the disciples have disappeared. And we have Joseph of Arathamia and we have Nicodemus, both of whom have been secret disciples, both who believed in Jesus in fact, Joseph of Arimathea had stood up against and hadn't, hadn't gone along with the decision to crucify Jesus. So you have these two people who you may consider to be um, weak, not very, not very sort of upfront Christians, risking everything. They, they, these were men of position. By doing this act of going to Pilate and asking that they might have the body of Jesus, they were risking everything. And when we see the contrast with, Jesus, with Peter, and not, 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 you know, not putting Peter down, but Peter saying, I will do, I'll be with you to the end. This really upfront, strong Christian with these two men who had hidden their faith, at the end, they put everything out. Even though it seems that everything had been finished, it seemed that Everyone, everyone knew this was the end of it. This was just another dead Jew. And they come and they embalm him with so much spices, so many spices it would be fit for a king. And so we come to the end of this and then we know that Jesus on the seventh day, if you remember in the creation story, the sixth day was the day that mankind was created. And in the story that John tells us, which again has always been going back to Genesis, the sixth day is where the, where, 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 where the new Adam dies and then he rests on the seventh when God rested and then he raises again on the eighth day. So just want you to go away and ponder. I'm sorry if it's a little bit, it's not, um, I haven't really come up with any points for you to sort of um, dwell on, but... I just think to to think about what Jesus has done and to understand that we can say these things in a very few words that 
Jesus died upon the cross. We can analyse it until the cows come home as to what it means. But in the end, this act was an act of love, an act that put to rights the things that were wrong and a set in motion something that will result in a new creation, a new heavens and earth, and results in our, our guarantee of, of, being, or of being with him for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we will never quite understand the depths of your love, except when we look at Jesus and we see a man who has been beaten to nearly to death in the first place and put upon a cross the king of kings crowned with a crown of thorns and enthroned upon a rough piece of wood bleeding and dying and taking upon himself the punishment that makes us whole and Lord, we are at awe of it. We, we cannot understand fully, but it shows, Lord, the depth of the love that you have for your people, that you were prepared to do this. That you never protested, Lord Jesus, when they did things, you didn't protest. But you let all the evil happen to you and you absorbed it and then you destroyed it in your body. And we give you thanks, Lord. And we pray as we go from this place that you would give us a deeper understanding of your love and your grace and that we will live in the power of that. We thank you that although it seemed that all was lost at the end of that day, on the next day you rose again. And you guarantee that we too will rise again with you. And we give you thanks. Amen.